Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. I hope that you've all had a great Thanksgiving week and that you have been thankful for something. I think we have a lot to be thankful for. And I know that, of course, as gardeners and people who are growing plants, we can be thankful for many things. We've had some decent weather. We've had some cool, nice weather, which, of course, is essential this time of year to help get our plants to go to sleep. And I'm thankful that uh, I still have plenty of leaves to be picked up because, of course, um, I love to compost leaves, to gather them, pile them up, let them rot down, and they are a wonderful food, a wonderful mulch for your garden plants, whether you're growing vegetable gardens and you plan to mulch them, keep weeds down, and increase organic matter in your soil, whether you want to just put to bed your shrubs and maybe uh, uh, trees, uh, perennial plants, composted leaves are a wonderful thing. And of course, here in the South, we usually have plenty of them because we have so many trees. And now you may or may not have many trees in your landscape. And if you don't have many trees, I am sorry for you. But you can be thankful that if you have just a few trees, that you can gather those leaves, pile them up. I've got a lot of leaves to pick up. I've only uh, picked up not even a fraction of what needs to be picked up. One of the saddest events that I've ever seen as I'm driving through town or driving here and there. This time of year, you'll see landscapers, maybe homeowners themselves working very hard in their landscapes, working very hard in their landscapes, trying to pick up every leaf that hits the ground. And I say, that's a wonderful thing. Pick up every leaf that hits the ground. But the worst of it is that most of the time, they're raking these leaves to the edge of the property, especially if you're down in a city somewhere, so that the city folks can come in and suck all those leaves up and take them to who knows where. Or the landscapers are bagging them up and throwing them on their truck and removing them from the property. Or maybe the homeowner spending all the time raking up leaves buying bags to put the leaves in, then hauling those leaves to some green landfill or some other place where they're going to charge you for dropping off your leaves. Folks, this is one of the worst things that we could possibly do in our landscapes is remove all of those leaves from the property. Because leaves, like I've already mentioned, make great compost, and they probably carry about 33% of the nitrogen needs for your plants as they slowly break down over the next spring and summer and you lay them out around your plants they'll be breaking down and releasing wonderful nutrients you don't even have to fertilize if you're using uh well in theory you don't have to fertilize it depends on maybe what kind of uh, end results you're going for but it's a slow release uh, if anything 
The leaves are a slow-release fertilizer. You can think of them like that. Slowly breaking down, slowly releasing nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, uh, things that all of your plants need. And so I see it as a terrible waste whenever we pile those leaves up or bag them up, rather, and remove them from our gardens, from our properties, because that is fertilizer lost. That is nutrition out the door. You see, in nature, it's a cycle, right? So all of our leaves, uh, trees here in the southeast, they'll put out leaves in the spring, say the oaks and the maples and the uh, sweet gums even. They all put out their leaves in the spring, and they're using uh, nutrition out of the soil to do so. And then, of course, at the end of the year, they're dropping their leaves, and those leaves make a nice blanket. It keeps the ground warm, keeps moisture moderated in the soil. And then, of course, as the next years and over the next few months, the leaves will start to break down. And that is the nutrition, then, that the plants are using. They're recycling those nutritions, and they're recycling all of the goodness that they need in order to make new leaves. So whenever we blow away, pile up, and ship off these leaves, we are literally removing nutrition from our system. If you think of your garden, your soil, your plot of land as a system, it's fairly a closed system unless you are removing something from it. And so with that being said, never ship your leaves off. Rake them up, sure. Pile them up. Let them decompose. Uh, maybe just blow them into a, a, a planting bed. You know, get them off the lawn because, of course, leaving leaves uh, piled up on your lawn over winter is a uh, not a good thing to do because, of course, they can harbor moisture and they can keep moisture at the uh, level of your lawn. And, of course, um, over winter, we may have freezing temperatures. Extra water there may do some damage to particularly things like Bermuda and Georgia lawns, which don't like excessive cold weather. But sure, rake the leaves, blow them into your planting beds, your mulched beds, because they do make a nice mulch. They're not pretty mulch, maybe. They're not dyed brown or black or red, all those things we love to go for nowadays. But still, they do the job of a good mulch. And of course, as they slowly break down, they increase nutrition in the soil. And as they slowly break down, they increase what we call the carbon content of the soil. And the carbon content of the soil is so important because, of course, that helps to uh, increase uh, um, nutrition availability where the soil can actually hold on to nutrition for your plants. And, of course, it helps with water flow. It helps with air, increasing um, air so we don't have soggy, wet soils. There's a lot of reasons why we would want carbon in the soil and by using our leaves as a source of that carbon is a wonderful thing. It's a slow process, sure. These leaves have to break down. But, you know, by the end of next summer, before uh, next year's leaves fall in the autumn, you will notice that a lot of those leaves have broken down. But, again, the worst thing we could possibly do with our leaves is not to rake them, not to blow them into a pile. The worst thing we could do is to ship them off into some faraway territory where we have no clue Who's going to be benefiting from all of that organic matter and nutrition that we find in the leaves? So I have a lot of leaves to pick up. I am thankful for these leaves because they are going to save me time and money. Um, well, they don't really save me time. You still have to pick them up, I guess. But you don't have to go buy a whole lot of, of um, 
compost, or not compost, but uh, mulch. You don't have to go buy bags of mulch when your leaves are giving them for you. I just pick up the leaves in the areas uh, where they've fallen onto turf grass. I leave them under trees. I leave the leaves where they are uh, in planting beds, flower beds, shrub shrub beds. Leave them there because Mother Nature's already mulched for you. But you can pick them up, rake them up from the turf grass areas, wherever your lawn spaces are, and move them. Pile them up. That's what I'll do. I'll pile them up and then use a lot of them for the vegetable uh, vegetable garden next year. Um, probably at some point over winter, I'll spread them on top of the soil on the vegetable plot so that I have a nice thick blanket of organic matter there. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm thankful for leaves. I, you know, this time of year, I, it is Thanksgiving time, and I don't know. Uh, we ought to be thankful for something. And, and this time of year, leaves, they're quite abundant and they're available. So I know that's kind of strange to talk about maybe leaves, but I just, it's continuing to happen where I'm driving, whether to work or to, to go to the stores or pick up the kids, whatever. I'm driving across town to do certain things. And I see people still raking their leaves into piles, leaving them in the, uh, the edge of the road, because I know that the city truck is going to come in and pick them up and take them off to their leaf warehouse, I guess. But it's sad because, of course, those leaves won't be used in that landscape. And you're removing, you're removing nutrition. If you want a healthy system, leave everything, leave the leaves, leave the leaves. That's all there is to it. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, of course, uh, it's the last Saturday of the month. November is almost over. I guess November sort of a short month. We've only got the 30 days, but we won't have a Saturday in November next week. It'll be December the 2nd. So today is our Q&A week here on New Southern Garden where you have submitted to us your questions. And of course, we always want to inspire you and give you timely duties and tasks to think about for your landscape. But we do know that there are some specific questions you may have specific problems. Uh, maybe they're not problems, but maybe they're good stories too. We love to hear about the good times, not just the bad times. <laughs> but with that being said, we are going to answer your questions as specific as possible. So we do appreciate you uh, checking us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com and of course on Facebook and Instagram. Those places are great to share and build a community, the, the social medias. So if you have a question that needs a picture, uh, to show us what you're looking at or dealing with, that is always helpful. And of course, Facebook and Instagram allows you to tag us in pictures or send them directly to us in their messaging apps. So um, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with us. And of course, if you want to listen to more New Southern Garden other than um, Saturdays, you can listen to us on demand at NewSouthernGarden.com or your favorite podcasting apps because we have all of our shows that we've ever done there. It's sort of like, um, I don't know, a free college course on gardening and the beauty of it is is you can select the topics you want to listen to and disregard the ones that don't interest you so be sure to check us out online newsoutherngarden.com but today of course we have your questions and the first question today comes from jane and jane is here in northeast georgia and she says that she would like to add some bulbs to my garden beds but she's afraid she's too late. Is it too late to plant bulbs? And Jane, we first of all, thank you for your question, but it's not too late. Uh, really in the South, it's maybe never too late as long as you can uh, acquire the bulbs and uh, put them in the ground while we still have some cool weather. Now, 
In the South, just like many places, really, we do have two groups or seasons of bulbs, if you will. We have the spring bulbs, and then we have what we call the summer bulbs. Those are the two groups that you'll usually find. Now, spring bulbs, uh, they, they pop up and bloom so early in the year that we usually are planting them over the cool months, maybe as early as October. November is a fine month. December, I planted bulbs well into January, February. Um, but you do want to make sure you get them in the ground as soon as possible. So uh, I think in, in, in addition to answering your yes or no question, is it too late? No, it's not too late. We'll also uh, talk about some of these spring bulbs and summer bulbs. And then, of course, we'll give you some tips and pointers on what you may want to consider doing with your soil or with your containers um, as you are potting those bulbs or planting those bulbs out. So in the group of spring bulbs, now these are a collection of bulbs. Of course, maybe we should start first, Jane, with what is a bulb? What is a bulb? Well, usually a bulb is it's just a general term. When I was in plant school, they used a term that sounds maybe more scientific. They called it a geophyte. Geophyte, a life form that lives under the ground, basically. And so there's a number of things that falls into this category of bulbs or geophytes. Now, of course, a bulb is a true, can be a true entity like, um, think of a tulip bulb. That is a bulb in the botanical sense, I guess. But then there are other things like rhizomes and corums and, uh, well, I didn't bring a list. Tubers is another word we use. Some uh, things like dahlias are usually classified as a tuber. And there's all different characteristics for each one of these geophytes. So we're going to use the term bulb very loosely today. We're just going to consider everything that we would plant as a very fleshy uh, botanical structure as a bulb. We would plant those under the ground. That's the key is that these are usually planted underground. Of course, there are some things you can do uh, inside to force a bulb in a glass of water with some rocks, but we're really talking about planting these, these entities, if you will, under the earth and, of course, waiting, praying, that they will come up at the right time. So, of course, we have things like tulips and daffodils. Now, these probably don't need much discussion today because you probably know them very well. But, of course, tulips are very early bloomers. Um, depending on the weather we have, you may see them blooming um, as early as late winter. But before tulips, you normally will see daffodils, definitely in late winter. And they are some of the earliest and probably the best form of early color that you're going to find tulips and daffodils now i do want to talk a bit more about that we're coming up on a break so when we get back i'm going to talk about the differences in tulips and daffodils and then we're going to give you plenty more bulbs to plant for spring and summer hang on tight gang Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. 
So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about your questions. We are answering your questions. Of course, this is going to be our Q&A week for the month of November. It is the last Saturday of the month. Where has November gone? Where has 2023 gone? Once we get through this week, we've only got one more month of the year. And, of course, that means that there's a lot of preparations you may need to be doing. There's a lot of things we need to be thinking about over winter in order to have the best garden we've ever had uh, in 2024. And one of those things, of course, is looking at your landscape and getting your questions answered. So today, of course, Jane here in Northeast Georgia is wondering if it's too late to plant bulbs. And in short, it is not too late to plant bulbs. Of course, there are many different kinds of bulbs and bulb planting can continue depending on what kind of bulbs you want from now into early spring and even into summer for certain things. So as long as you can get your hands on these things, you can get them in the ground. Uh, Before the break, we left off talking about tulips and daffodils. These are probably two bulbs or bulbous-like plants that really don't need an introduction or a description. Of course, tulips have been around as long as daffodils, I suppose, and tulip mania happened a few hundred years ago where certain tulip bulbs were going for thousands, thousands of dollars. It was sort of a currency at one point. But, of course, that bubble burst, and we're left with a variety of tulips to choose from. Now, here in the southeast, um, tulips I like to classify as an annual. That doesn't mean, of course, an annual plant is a plant that you plant every year because it doesn't make it through one or another season. And the reason I like to classify tulips as an annual is because here in the southeast, they don't mind the cold. Our cold is not a problem. So we actually need a certain amount of cold weather in order for them to be stimulated to grow in the spring. But what happens is once the flower comes up, the leaves come up, the flower blooms. Once the bloom is over, the leaves will hang out for a little while. But as summer comes along, it gets too hot, maybe too dry for tulips to thrive. And those leaves usually disappear. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that the plant itself, the bulb, is dead. But what does happen is, because there's just a short window for those leaves to hang above the soil before it gets too hot, they don't store a lot of nutrition to replenish that swollen bulb underground. And so year after year, the bulb just gets smaller and smaller. They maybe maybe don't even bloom. And they do set off little bulblets, little tiny uh, bulbs, which could take years to develop into a decent uh, blooming-sized bulb. And so where with most perennial, uh, sorry, with most bulbs, they're quite perennial in that they can grow and divide and you multiply, just like daffodils. Tulips, in order to get a good show, in order to get a good bloom, you pretty much have to buy them in from Holland and other places where they grow them because they have the climate that is conducive to allowing them to store nutrients year after year and just get larger and larger in size and get it up, get that bulb up to a blooming size, if you will. Daffodils, on the other hand, are very perennial here. They can handle a bit more of our summer weather, and so they have a longer period where they can even after their blooming is done, they leave their leaves above the ground. They will photosynthesize and make nutrients and carbohydrates and store them into the bulb. And also they make enough that they can make daughter bulbs. And so daffodils is a 
very dependable group of bulbs. Not only do they bloom well every year, for the most part, (laughs) not only do they bloom well, but they also multiply well. And so we usually group daffodils into a type of bulb that we would call a naturalizer. Because if you plant just a, a small grouping of them within five years, you've multiplied that group and it looks like they've been growing there all along. Like maybe they were planted there at the beginning of the earth, you know? And so whereas daffodils, you can plant one or a thousand and you'll get plenty more, uh, tulips really only show off that first year. You might, if you leave the tulips in the ground, you might see another good blooming the, the second year. But after that, the bulbs just get weaker and weaker. So tulips, I like to classify as an annual bulb, where in order to have an impact, you would need to plant them once a year. But daffodils, they're happy where they are, no matter where you put them. You put them under trees, it's no problem. You put them in the sun, it's no problem. And of course, all of these bulbs come in a variety of colors. Now, daffodils usually stay to the yellows and orangey, peachy, and white colors, Um, maybe inflections of pinkish every now and then, but it's probably more of an orange or a peach. But then tulips come in about every color you could imagine except for true blue. So there's purple, there's red, there's yellow, there's oranges, there's even limey colors and and, um, uh, a slew in between with pinks and whatnot. But you usually don't find blue, true blue, true blue. Now, everybody probably knows about tulips and daffodils, and to answer Jane's question, these are perfectly fine to plant right now. Some other spring-blooming bulbs that you may want to consider, though, are crocus. Now, crocus are very small plants. The blooms are maybe only up to three inches, probably less than three inches tall, really, probably between one to two inches tall, Um, but they sort of have a cup-like effect, kind of like a tulip, but very low, very short stems. And then they open up um, as they start to develop. And you see on the inside these little orange and yellowy parts. Of course, that's the sexual parts of the plants. But um, crocus, with those little sexual parts, that's actually that, um, that spice they call saffron, I believe. And so crocus is prized for that. And saffron goes for quite, quite a high dollar. Uh, so you may want to be farming some crocus. They're beautiful and can be economic, I guess, or um, commercially uh, sold. But they are very early blooming. Um, I have had crocus before that would bloom even after we uh, had snow on the ground. Like there was crocus bulbs pushing through the snow. It's a great effect. Uh, they do naturalize well, and they can handle uh, sun or under trees. The reason a lot of these spring blooming bulbs can handle sun or shade is because, again, they're very, um, their presence in the garden is very short. And so if these bulbs are growing under trees, because they bloom so early and their leaves get up so early, they're usually doing their stuff before the leaves on the trees have opened. So there's plenty of sunshine for them. And then as soon as the leaves on the trees start unfurling and start casting shade, those bulbs are basically done. They don't need a lot of sun. They just disappear until next late winter or early spring. So don't forget about crocus. And of course, a very fragrant bulb is hyacinth. Hyacinths usually come in pinks and whites and purples. 
and they are quite attractive, large, tall, um, stocky. They're very chunky to me as far as their blossom looks, uh, but it is on a spike, so you have a number of flowers that are positioned on this tall spike, and the hyacinths are quite fragrant. That's one of the beautiful things about it. Now, irises are another great bulb to plant now. There's a number of irises. Some are early blooming, and those you definitely want to plant now, but some don't bloom until maybe middle spring and, and some maybe continue into summer. Um, so look into the iris group. You and I probably know what irises are, um, but look at some of the early flowering ones too. Uh, just like daffodils and crocus and hyacinth, they'll bloom and then they may disappear for the rest of the year. These aren't necessarily the bearded iris we're talking about. Uh, these would be very low, low-growing iris that are plant sowed out as, as bulbs or sets. And a native bulb... There's a plant called Camassia. Uh, Camassia is a native plant to the southeast and, and uh, eastern coast of U.S., but Camassia is a nice blue to purple flower, uh, very unique. If you've never seen Camassia, I do like Camassia, but again, the fact that it's native is kind of cool because it's one of the few bulbous-like plants that you can find in the trade and then, of course, uh, still um, can call native can call native. So if you're into native gardening and want some of that early spring color, then be sure to look for camassia and whatnot. Um, th- there's a few other bulbs here. Now we've talked about allium before. Probably won't dwell on allium, but they're very quite upright, uh, strong, straight stems when they bloom. And then at the top is a cluster of a globe-like flower between whites and purples, usually maybe some pinks and blues. Look for alliums and plant them now. They like to have a bit of cool weather before they bloom in the spring. Um, if you need more details on growing alliums, just check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com, and we've got a show just for alliums. But when we get back from this break, more spring and then summer bulbs for your landscape. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to New Southern Garden. Of course, if you're just joining us, you've missed out on a great discussion on bulbs. Uh, Of course, today is our Q&A week, and we're answering your questions. And Jane has a question for us today. Is it too late to plant bulbs? And, of course, it's not too late to plant bulbs. It's still a great time to plant bulbs. Um, There are two main groups of bulbs. There's the spring bulbs and the summer blooming bulbs. Um, You can wait to plant the summer blooming. We haven't even talked about some of those beauties. But with the spring bulbs, of course, we've talked about tulips and daffodils, crocus, hyacinths, iris, camassia, and allium. Now, these are all plants, of course, that are going to be doing uh, their blooming maybe even before the leaves on the trees have fully opened and developed. And that allows even some of the shady planted bulbs to really uh, sprout up and grow, get some sunlight before they get shaded out by bigger trees. So if you do have a shady space 
and you feel like you can't grow bulbs because, of course, tulips, they can grow in the sun. Daffodils can grow in the sun. Hyacinths grow in the sun. All these grow in the sun. But many of them can grow just fine under shade because they do all their stuff before the shade actually starts to accumulate. Um, so we're talking a discussion here for anybody, shade or sun growers. Now, one other plant that is really cool and cute and dainty are the snowdrops or galanthus. Now, the snowdrops are these strange plants that are one of the few bulbs that can handle slightly damp soil. If you have more moisture, then galanthus or rather a snowdrop is a good choice for you. And they can handle slightly shaded sites as well. Most bulbs are going to need well-drained soil because, of course, most of their body, if you will, is positioned under the ground. And so if a bulb sits in water, rarely has access to oxygen, they may just rot and die. But with snowdrops and some uh, and uh, wood anemone, which I do want to talk about too, wood anemones, they are usually planted as bulbs. They can handle that slightly damp and slightly shady soil because, um, well, they're they're just able to do it. So you, if you have shady sites, don't write off bulbs, but go ahead and plant anemones and snowdrops. Now. As we transition into our summer bulb discussion, I want to give you a few of the summer bulbs because you may not actually plant these right away. You could wait till the soil starts warming up in the spring. But there is a plant that is, uh, has a funny name. Uh, botanically, it's called Lycoris. Uh, but commonly, it's either called spider lily or naked ladies. And the reason it's named this is because it has this strange growth habit where it comes up in the early spring. And the leaves come out of the bulb, okay? And they start acquiring energy and nutrition and sunlight, da 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 Well, once that period of its cycle is done, it disappears. And you will think that it died. You won't even know that it was there. You'll think something happened, something's wrong. But then at the very end of summer, as we push into fall, into autumn, these lycoris bulbs that have been sort of hibernating all summer underground, they send up this tall spike, and right at the top is a cluster of bright sort of coral or orange or red flowers. Now, another plant, an, another name for this is called uh, resurrection lily because it disappears and then blooms. And I have seen them historically here in the South planted in um, cemeteries. It's a great name for a, a plant, a resurrection lily, to put it in a cemetery. Now, again, it gets its name spider lily because the flowers kind of look spider-like and like with all their legs hanging out. Uh, but, of course, it gets its name naked ladies because it blooms without any foliage. So you have this brilliant show, but no leaves to cover it up or distract you from it. Just a tall, naked stem uh, and beautiful flowers on top. So look for Lycoris. That's a great one to plant. Now, let's move into summer lilies, summer summer uh, bulbs, rather. Of course, that includes lilies, things like Asiatic lilies, which is a wonderfully fragrant plant. When it's blooming, you will not miss its fragrant in, uh, fragrance. Any of the Asiatic lilies are wonderful. Of course, you plant them uh, in the spring, and then they will bloom for you in the summer. The same goes for gladiolus and crocosmia. Uh, dahlias, we've talked about dahlias on this program before, but these are three more bulbs that you can plant. Probably don't have to rush to it right now. You may not even have access to them because usually they are sold at your uh, local nurseries or even box stores um, in, in the springtime. 
And then, of course, there's this strange, I want to leave you with one more, uh, that's an unusual plant. This is called Eucomus, or pineapple lily. Now, we do grow Eucomus, pineapple lily, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. Uh, But pineapple lily gets its name because its blossom looks kind of like a pineapple. Uh, It doesn't produce a pineapple, of course. It's just a blooming plant, a beautiful plant. Uh, But they do have this kind of foliage, like if you're familiar with a pineapple plant, kind of uh, yucca-like. But then when they bloom in the summer, they send up this tall shoot, a tall spike, and you have a cluster of flowers at the top. And at the very top, you have a tuft of what appears to be leaves, foliage. And so if you can think of a pineapple like that, the body of the pineapple is the cluster of flowers. And then right at the top, that tuft of leaves uh, represents kind of the, the leaves on the top of a pineapple. Of course, it's not a pineapple. It's not an edible plant per se, uh, but it just gets its common name because it's its flower looks a lot like a pineapple. It's really cool. Uh, so be on the lookout for eucomus. So, Jane, there are plenty of bulbs for you to plant now, and there are some bulbs that you can plant in the spring to get that summer color. But when it comes to planting bulbs, I want to give you a few tips and pointers. Be sure to add organic matter. Whether you are planting bulbs in a container or whether you're planting them in the ground, adding organic matter and and Perhaps even some very coarse compost will help to increase drainage. The organic matter will help to create a great space for the bulb, uh, providing it nutrition, but a coarse compost will also help with drainage. Remember, most of these bulbs do not like a lot of wet feet. They don't want to be standing in water. Of course, snowdrops, wood anemone, and a few of the others can handle a good bit of moisture, but ideally we want that soil around your bulbs to drain well. And be sure when you're planting the bulb to plant it in the ground with the pointy end up and what we call the basal plate downwards. Sometimes you will see little fine, maybe dried up roots. That is a good sign that that is the basal plate, the bottom of the plant where the or bottom of the bulb where the roots come out of the soil. If you position them with the pointy end up where the shoot would be, they will slide right up through the soil. Now, if you happen to invert that or lay them on their side in any other position, they will find their way. It may just slow them down a bit. That shoot will find uh, true north and head vertically. And the roots, of course, will find south and head downwards. Uh, but be sure that for quick and fast growth to place the pointy end of the bulb upwards. Um, now, how about how deep do you plant a bulb? Now, you may look on... Uh, some research sites depend on what you're doing, but a general statement is that you can plant a bulb that is maybe two to three times its its width. You can plant it two to three times as deep. So in other words, if you have a two-inch bulb, you may be able to plant it uh, four to six inches deep, and that would be appropriate. We don't want to plant them too deeply. Uh, if I ever have a question about how deep do I plant this bulb, I plant it a little shallower, uh, but if you plant it too deep, it may not ever be able to push up. So two to three times the width of the bulb, uh, multiply that, two or three, and that would be a good depth to start at. Now, when you plant, and you can do that now when you're planting these spring bulbs, or of course with your summer bulbs, when you plant, you can add a complete fertilizer, a well-balanced fertilizer. We want something in every slot on that fertilizer bag. You know, the fertilizer bag has a ratio. You've got three numbers that are separated by two hyphens. So 10-10-10 would be a complete fertilizer, or 8-8-8 would be a complete fertilizer. And of course, there are plenty of organic products that you can use as well to 
fertilize with, but be sure it's a complete fertilizer because that bulb is going to need a little bit of everything to get up and get growing. Now, we have already mentioned that early flowering bulbs can be planted under trees because they'll have enough sunlight, but generally, most bulbs... um, do need a lot of sun. However, spring bulbs benefit from being planted in an area where they're protected from the hot midday sun. If we plant them in full blazing sun, we'll see that their leaf quality starts to decline maybe a bit more rapidly than it would if it had a break in the afternoon. Because again, in order for these bulbs to be true perennials and come back year after year, they do need a period after they bloom where you're fertilizing them, but they're also photosynthesizing just the foliage is hanging out above the above the soil and it is getting that sunlight that it needs and it's storing nutrition into that bulb so that then it will have a wonderful bloom show for you in the next season so gang with all that being said of course it is easy to grow bulbs it's fun to grow bulbs Uh, probably tulips are one of the few that you'd have to replant year after year Uh, maybe a few others but for the most part they do come back, especially these spring flowering bulbs. Now, with the summer flowering bulbs, uh, we can talk more about that as we get to spring. But uh, sometimes in certain climates where we have a very cool or very cold, rather, winter, we may need to lift them uh, in order for them to come back and store them in an area that's maybe 50 degrees uh over the, over the winter time and then plant them again. But here in the Southeast, most of the things that we've talked about today don't usually have a problem overwintering. Uh, it's just the summer that some of the bulbs may struggle. So give them a break in the afternoon and they should do fine for you. So thanks to Jane for your question. We appreciate you sending us that via NewSouthernGarden.com. And we've got another question lined up from Jake. Uh, He says that I have an old azalea bush that I'd love more of. I've asked local nurseries to see if they have it, but we don't even know the name of it. Can I propagate cuttings from it now? And if so, how can I go about doing that? So, Jake, that is a good question for this time of year. Um, the fact that it's an azalea is a is a good thing because you can propagate from your azalea plants now. Now, remember, there's all kinds of um, times throughout the year that you can attempt to propagate plants. The first time is in the spring when we have very green, we call it softwood. You take the softwood from the plant, it's quite tender, uh, you've got to remove it and you've got to propagate it without it drying out. And then of course throughout the summer months you've got what we call semi-hardwood which is sort of in between uh, that tender wood but also it's starting to get some rigidity to it. But by now, in November, all of the wood on your azalea should be what we call hardwood. So we're trying to talk about um, propagating hardwood cuttings, which is a slower process than softwood cuttings, but it can be quite um, beneficial. Uh, You can do hardwood cuttings on a lot of plants now, like mock orange, uh, vitex or the chase tree, crepe myrtles, azaleas, hollies, and other broadleaf evergreens are quite, and even some conifers do very well from hardwood cuttings. Here's a simple way for you, Jake, to do this. You take a large Tupperware, uh, Tupperware? No, like a Sterilite container, large plastic container, and fill it about halfway with a uh, 50% peat moss or maybe potting mix and 50% perlite mix. Now, make sure that that mix is barely moist. Uh, 
So you're filling half of that tub with this mixture, making sure that it's barely moist. Then you take your cuttings from your azalea plant. They should be maybe four to six inches long. And you do want to strip off most of the leaves except for maybe the top three or four. We want to reduce the number of leaves so that we don't have a lot of drying out. But then on your cut end, you can dip that end into a rooting hormone like root tone or something and insert that into that media in your Sterilite container. Now be sure to label that variety uh, with a I don't know, a plastic bottle cap or something, uh, or a piece of paper you could tape onto the, to the box itself, and then cover that. Cover that box with clear plastic wrap and just place it in a sunroom, a sunny window, somewhere it can get a little bit of light. Now check it weekly to make sure that that medium has not dried out, but you don't want that medium to be wet either. And in about a month's time, you tug on the plant and you may find that there are roots down below. It may take, take up to six to eight weeks, but once you've done that, you can pot them up and let them grow out until spring. Well, gang, after this break, we've got more of your questions here on New Southern Garden. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Give it a go! So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are answering your questions. Uh, I think it's been a fun-filled show. We did talk about bulbs a lot. Maybe I talked about that a little too much, but I do think that bulbs are really fun, especially if you're using them in a container. If you haven't potted up your containers yet for fall, maybe with pansies, violas, snapdragons, all the wonderful fall annuals that we try to put in the south here, (laughs) be sure before you put those uh, plants on top of the soil to stick some bulbs down below. Some of the best containers that I've ever grown, I actually mixed in bulbs down below and then put pansies and violas on the top. And then in the late winter, early spring, when the pansies and violas are really showing off, you have those tall spears of flowers pushing up through from the bulbs. You won't see anything all winter, but as soon as we get into the early part of spring, that container just changes its look because of those bulbs. It's really a fun thing to do. Tulips, daffodils, crocus even, they all great plants for pots. Uh, but before the break, we gave Jake a quick rundown of how to uh, propagate his azalea from hardwood cuttings right now. As long as he makes those cuttings and keeps them from drying out, and one of the best ways is, again, to take that a plastic tub. Um, I say cover it with plastic. You could actually, if you have a clear plastic tub with a clear lid, that lid may a great cover for that and probably once a week you will check on them making sure that the soil media there is not too dried out but you don't want it to stay wet either just lightly mist it um 
Maybe every morning you could mist the leaves on your azalea just to make sure that there's some humidity there so those leaves aren't drying out. But again, hardwood cuttings are a wonderful way to increase the number of plants, particularly if there's a plant you like and can't find any more of at your local garden center, plant nursery, you can grow it yourself. Um, but now is a good time to do many things um, in the landscape as far as trying to propagate more plants. Um, it, sort of like propagation, Peter H., asks his question, is now a good time to prune my shrubs? I've noticed landscapers pruning my neighbor's plants and thought maybe I should too. If I prune now, will I be removing flowers for next spring? Well, there's sort of a double question here. And the first question that Peter asks is, is now a good time to prune shrubs? And my answer is no, not really. But why is that the case if Peter notices his landscapers are pruning their customer shrubs? Well, I'll tell you why landscapers prune over winter, and I've told you this before. It's because there's no grass to cut. They have idle hands. They have free time, and yet they still want to be able to keep their clients and, of course, keep that revenue coming in over, over winter. So, seems like a good time to prune. But actually, the best time to prune, what modern horticultural research tells us, is the best times would be when the plant is actively growing. Now, the plants are not actively growing right now. As a matter of fact, the plants are going to sleep. They're going dormant. They may grow a root system underground, but they're not really growing any new leaves, any new stems. And with that being said, when you cut a plant, when you prune a plant, you are just like if you had a cut on your arm, you are creating a wound. And you want that wound to heal as fast as possible. And plants heal best when they're actively growing. So pruning now is not ideal. It might be necessary in some cases where there's some dramatic problem happening and you have to trim a plant. Uh, But if you can, don't prune your plants until after they've started to grow. Now, the second question of Peter's is, if I do prune now, will I be removing flowers for next spring? And in short, the answer is yes, you very well could be because some plants, they bloom, the earliest blooming plants, they bloom on the season before's wood or we'll say last year's wood. So if, uh, say for Scythia, let's use an example. For Scythia is the yellow bell, right? Yellow bell shrub. Now they bloom very early in the new year. They may be blooming as early as February, but definitely into March. And they are a plant that is producing their blooms on last year's wood. So if you had pruned any of these early blooming shrubs over the winter, you would be removing potential blossoms, potential blossoms. There's a good story that uh, I think I have time for here. A lady came into the nursery and she showed me a picture of a hydrangea plant. Uh, This was the big leaf hydrangea, the blue and pink blooming hydrangeas that we all know and love. And she said, I think I'm just going to get rid of this plant. I said, why? It's a beautiful plant. Look at those leaves. Look at those strong stems. It's gorgeous. She said, well, we've had it for 10 years and it's never bloomed. It's never bloomed in 10 years. Uh, My first question to her was, do you ever prune it? Have you ever pruned it? She says, oh, yes, well, my husband Joe, his name was actually Joe, uh, my husband Joe prunes it in March every year. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm afraid your problem is not a disease. Your problem is not fertilizer because she wanted to know what kind of fertilizer she could use to encourage it to bloom. I said, your problem is Joe. 
Joe, your husband, he's cutting off the blossoms every year. And you've never, and you know what she said? She said, I'm not going to let Joe touch that this year. So she comes back the next year and she shows me a picture of that beautiful hydrangea with beautiful blooms. And I said, you didn't let Joe touch it, did you? She said, no, Joe is never touching that hydrangea again. <laughs> so hydrangea macrophylla is also, or the big leaf hydrangea, is another flower, flowering shrub that you would not want to prune over winter. Things like um, flowering quince, father gilla. Father gilla is a wonderful native plant that blooms very early in the year. Hydrangea corsifolia, or I should say the oak leaf hydrangea, mock orange blooms on its on old wood or wood from last year. So do the rhododendrons. All the rhododendrons, they bloom in the spring. Spireas, certain spireas, and certain viburnum. Most of the species and the cultivars are going to be blooming early in the year. Here's a general rule for you, Peter. If you're wondering what to not prune so you still enjoy those blooms, remember, if it, prune, if it, <laughs> if it blooms before June, do not prune until after it blooms. Now, that's a little rhyme that I like to, uh, to give folks from time to time because, of course, that these plants can be pruned. Forsythia can be pruned. pruned. Uh, hydrangeas can be pruned. Uh, mock orange can be pruned. But we do want to let them bloom first, then prune them. And then in the, after we prune them, they will stimulate more growth throughout the late spring and into summer that will be setting its blooms for the next spring. The trouble comes whenever we prune them too early. We have to let these early flowering plants bloom first and then we can prune them. But there are certain plants that it doesn't matter when you prune them. Uh, one of the best examples is butterfly bush, most of your landscape roses that bloom all summer long. And then, of course, like the panicled hydrangeas, or you may know it more like limelight hydrangeas. That style of hydrangea, it can bloom on new wood so we can prune the old wood out in the spring and still enjoy flowers for the rest of the spring and summer but with certain plants like azaleas these hydrangeas the the blue and pink hydrangeas these are things that we really just want to wait until after they bloom if you ever have a question, of course, you can contact us at NewSouthernGarden.com and we'll be glad to answer which plants should be pruned at which time. That's one of the most critical things that we probably need to learn as gardeners is when to properly prune, what time to prune certain plants just because of their flowering cycle. Well, gang, thanks for joining us here on New Southern Garden. Uh, for WRWH 93.9 FM, my name is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Give it a go. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.